Thank you. Woo, I'm here. It's been a soul journey, <laughs> to say the least. Um, I am really excited and probably a little nervous, too, um, to come out of hiding and um, provide just a space to reflect on a story that's meant a lot to me. So I'm going to ask you to open up to um, John 5, and we're looking at verses 1 to 15, and this is a story about a man who has been in waiting for a really long time, um, waiting for healing. I think how appropriate that Ashley's story was this morning, um, and waiting for healing, waiting to see if God will show up, and Jesus poses this question, do you want to be made well? And this is the question that has long kind of captivated me um, and drawn me back to this story time and time again. So I am going to ask you to imagine yourself at the Pool of Bethesda. This is Hearst Castle, but um, <laughs> when I think of the pool, <laughs> when I think of the pool, I think of Hearst Castle, which is not accurate, but we're, imagine yourself there. Um, so I'm going to read this to you, and I would ask that you just kind of sit in this story, and then we'll break it down a little bit. So that's a lot of text. Um, the healing at the pool on the Sabbath. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there, had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I am going another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well, sin no more, and nothing worse may happen to you. And then the man went back and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So that is the picture. Um, I want us to look at the pools. So take yourself back to the pools. This is... Um, Jerusalem, we're looking at the city. Allison Davis has just been here to the pools of Bethesda. Where are you? I'm looking for you. Um, and she sent me some pictures, um, which I did not use, but I was inspired by. And, <laughs> and um, so I want you to imagine that there is this man who has been sick for 38 years. That's a long time. That was the duration of his whole life. And he's sitting by this pool with all sorts of other invalids, sick, right? Um, devastated, waiting for on this chance, as the tradition would say, that an angel would come down and stir the water and the first person to get in the pool would receive healing. So imagine this, a paralyzed man, right? 
stuck on this hope chance that he would get into the pool first um, to be healed as an angel stirs the water. Okay, that's a slim chance. And so um, I did a little Google research, not the most credible, but I think that this model um, shows kind of what Jerusalem would look like. And so this is actually what they think the pools of Bethesda look like um, up here. And I think archaeologists were like five porticos. That looks like two squares, if you ask me. Um, But I guess the porticos were... um, If you see the two walls on the front, those weren't porticos. And so they're referring to kind of where the columns are in the space in the middle. And so um, I think they found this um, archaeological evidence, and you can go there today, um, and see that this took place by the Sheep Gate, um, (coughs) which was the entrance behind um, and not the normal entrance. Um, And that's where it was said to take place. And then the temple was kind of back there where my arrow is. And so imagine this man waiting, 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 um, 38 years with all of these other sick, and then Jesus comes. And so uh, if you look at verse 5 and 6, we see that Jesus sees this man in his waiting. It says he sees him, and he knows that he was sick for 38 years. He knows him. He sees him, and it makes me think about waiting. Um, Thinking about times of waiting. Who has been in a space of waiting before? Me too, yeah. Okay, and so when I think of waiting, I was thinking of kind of surface-level things, like I am waiting for the school year to be over. Um, Our students, you probably feel the same way, yeah. And (coughs) I am waiting to see a friend I haven't seen in a long time. I am waiting to go on a trip, have a vacation. And then I started to think about deeper levels of waiting, Um, things that I've waited for. I waited to marry my husband. Um, I waited to find someone to spend my life with, and that took a while longer than I expected. I waited to to find hope after um, being in a period of darkness or anxiety and depression. Maybe you're waiting um, to have children. Um, Maybe you're waiting to see a child, um, one of your children, come back to the Lord. There are numerous things that we're waiting for. um, And I want us to latch on to what this man was feeling, his whole life in waiting. Um, One experience that has been recent to my husband and I is that we moved up to the Rockland, um, Roseville area about five years ago. And we moved up, this is a picture of me and my mother-in-law, and we moved up for about a year, was our plan, um, maybe two at the most, and it's been five, Um, and we moved up to help with her situation because she actually has quite a miraculous story, was a survivor of brain cancer. Um, She was healed physically of brain cancer. She was diagnosed in 2003 for the first time and was given six months to live, and is alive, and had two surgeries, and it is a miracle. Um, She has since been in a wheelchair and needs full-time care. And so we moved up here with one intent, we're gonna help, we are going to, thank you, (laughs) we're gonna help her, we're going to be there, and then we're gonna leave and go back to Southern California. Um, And so we have been in this period of waiting to see 
what God will do. And the first year was exciting. And the second year was like, okay. And then years three, four, and now five were a little less so. And so in our process of waiting, um, I would say the realness of where my heart was at was exposed. And um, I think we all have these situations where we're in waiting, seeing what the solution will be. Um, and I think this man is looking for a solution. But sometimes when we're in situations, we see like one way out, one tunnel vision way. And I think Jesus, I know Jesus, usually has another way. And so <clears throat> he approaches him, knowing him, seeing him, understanding his situation for 38 years, and asks him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? Um, and another word for well or healed is made whole. Um, that's used in the language. And so do you want to be made whole? And it's so fascinating because if you think about it, this man's like, obviously I want to be made well. I've been sitting by this pool for 38 years waiting for someone to put me in the water. And his response isn't yes right away. His response isn't yes, I want to be healed. His response is, well, let me tell you what happens. Every time, you know, an angel stirs the water, um, I don't have anyone to put me in the pool, right? No one puts me in the pool. Actually, someone else gets ahead of me and goes down in front of me. So it's interesting. He never answers the question. Um, you know, maybe he's probably feeling a little bitter, possibly resentful. Um, I have no one to put me in the water. You're asking me if I want to be well? Um, of course I do. And it's interesting to see Jesus's response. Um, can you see the picture here? Yeah, I just like it. It's from like the um, 17th century. And it's like, Jesus is like, do you want to be made well? And he's like, here's why I can't. Yeah. So I just thought it was fascinating. <laughs> I'm sure I acted that out really well. Um, so <laughs> so uh, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? He says, here's why I can't. Um, and so Jesus then responds and says, get up, take up your bed or your mat and walk. And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. Um, and it's so fascinating to me, never answered the question, um, but Jesus immediately breaks the construct of this man. He has tunnel vision, the man, right? I have to get in that pool. The pool is my way out. And Jesus is like, no, it's not the way out. You know, uh, you don't need the pool. You need me. I am the way out. I am the way through. And um, he breaks his mental construct, but he's also breaking tradition because this story is happening on the Sabbath, okay? And for one, we don't do healings on the Sabbath, but Jesus does. Um, for the second part, we don't carry our mats. This was like a criminal offense to carry your mat. I almost stole the round pillow out of our room to like carry as my mat, but um, my roommate discouraged me from that. So, <laughs> um, but imagine he's like carrying his mat out and then all of a sudden, you know, these Jewish leaders then come up to him and say, um, why are you carrying that mat? Like who told you to do that? This is really interesting to me because Okay, paralyzed man for 38 years is walking, and we're concerned about the mat. Like, does that strike anyone as a little odd? Um, 
like he's carrying his mat. This is like miraculous. And the Jewish leader's like, I think you're going to need to put that mat down. Okay, I need to find who took that mat because basically they could be stoned for that, right? That's like an offense. And so this is just crazy. Jesus heals the man, right, provides a way out, and we're looking culturally, and um, it's the mat or the bedroll that's of concern. And so this man's like, uh, I, I, this man told me, like, uh, to get up and walk, and so I did, and, <clears throat> and they're so stuck on the mat. And then um, the next time we meet uh, or see the man, Jesus comes back because Jesus had escaped, had gone away from the temple. Um, the Jewish leaders are like looking for him, like, who did this? I'm going to kill them, kill him. Um, and so looking at this, we really see that we wait for what our eyes can see. This man was like, I need the pool. Jesus is like, no, you need me. And I'm going to break all constructs in order to show you that, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? And so that's one example of a healing story, right? This is one example of how Jesus chose to heal this man. Okay? Here are a few more from the Gospels. So um, healing through prayer is something that we see um, in the Gospels, that sometimes um, the body will lay hands on people to be healed. Healing through faith, right? The girl who was bleeding touched the cloak of Jesus and her faith made her well, like we heard from Ashley about, healing through the faith of another. So a body of believers has faith for um, a paralyzed man who was then delivered through a roof. Um, and it was their faith that made this man well. And so <clears throat> what we see is that Jesus doesn't use one formula, okay? We know that he is the way, but the ways that he uses aren't always the same ways to bring healing. Um, I particularly like this story in John 9 um, about a man who was born blind and Jesus healed him. I like this because the disciples were really caught up in, oh my gosh, like this man was born blind. What did he do? Like, was it his sins that made him blind or made him sick? Was it his parents' sins that made him blind or sick? Um, and Jesus says it was not his parents' sins. It was not his sins, okay? The purpose of um, the scenario is that it's all meant to work towards showing um, how the works of God might be displayed. So it's all about showing who I am. And I think that speaks so truly to our lives because we're like, well, why did this happen? Or why is this happening to me, right? Why am I stuck up in a foreign land um, for this many years longer than I thought? Why am I still struggling with depression or anxiety, right? I'm doing all of the right things. And um, if I just do this formula, then I can get out of it. And I think time and time again, he's saying, no, there's no formula all of this is about my works being displayed um, towards the gospel, towards the sacrifice that Jesus made at the cross. And so um, just something to think about when we think about these stories. And so, um, again, moving down through the scriptures, Jesus comes back to this man. Think about it. This man has received physical healing. In the story, that's what he's looking for. He wants the physical healing, but Jesus doesn't leave him there. 
He doesn't leave him just, okay, you're physically healed, go on. That's how my work's going to be displayed. He points beyond the physical healing to the heart. And so, verse 14, afterward Jesus found him in the temple, okay, in the area with these Jewish leaders who are so concerned about the mat and nothing else, um, and says, see you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Back to that John 9 idea, some scholars might say, oh, well, you know, what's he doing? Like, he's in sin, that's why he was sick. Some might say that, who knows? Maybe he's struggling with fear of these Jewish leaders. Maybe, you know, he has something else going on. Regardless, this is a heart issue. So Jesus provides the physical healing, but points to the heart issue. Um, And if we think about our own lives, okay, which I naturally do, um, I think about what gets in the way of us experiencing God's provision for healing in our lives. Um, And there are so many things that get in the way. And namely, I think, um, it's our wounds. And as I've been praying about this, um, this phrase keeps popping into my mind. And so I decided to put it on the slide. Um, And the phrase that comes to mind is the pause between grace and belief. So I look back at verses 5 and 6, or 6 and 7. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made whole? That's Jesus' offer of grace to us, right? Do you want to be healed? Okay, and then we see that man's response. He doesn't say yes. So what is in between of the offer and our ability to step into the promises of God? Um, And so when I think about it, it's our hearts, right? It's the states of our hearts. Um, And I think about woundedness and all of the ways that we could be wounded. Um, And so maybe it's a victim mentality, right? What's causing this man to not say yes? Well, I've been sitting here for 38 years. This man's getting healing, but I'm not, right? I've worked really hard at my job. This person's getting praise, and I'm not, right? I've been in this space for X amount of years, and this person's getting seen, and I'm not. And I think those are kind of the heart issues that separate us from walking in the truth of God's promises for us. And so I'm going to share a couple stories. One is a few weeks ago, I was meeting with Katie to prepare for this. And I have a history of being afraid. um, And I really struggle with fear. And this fear, um, I think is not just in my generation, but my family's generations before. I am Armenian 100% on both sides. Has anyone heard of the Armenian genocide? So this genocide um, happened about 100 years ago um, where uh, Turkish Muslims basically took out a people group, or tried to, which was the Armenian people. Um, and my family um, is part of that. And so Um, my grandmother, actually, we just found out a few years ago, spent the duration of her life in a refugee camp um, in Syria. And I knew this grandma and grew up with her, and she's since passed. But this fear 
of man or fear of being rejected is very strong in my family. And the way that I think my family has coped is through celebration and covering it up and being happy. And um, this is something I've really been exploring lately. And as I get older and I look back at these heart issues, I've identified this wound as a fear of, of being rejected, basically. Um, which is interesting because, I mean, people really did kill my family. So in a way, it kind of makes sense, right? It's a generational kind of rejection. Um, and so I brought that up because I was really struggling to come up with what to say in a personal way today. And I was like, well, I struggled with depression. <laughs> I struggled with anxiety. And I was like, hmm, I could share that. But when I thought about it and I got to the heart of the matter, Depression and anxiety weren't the main thing. It was this fear of being rejected. Um, and so I was sitting with Katie, and I'm a teacher. I talk all the time. Um, but I was sitting with her, and I, like, literally went mute when she asked me, like, what I was going to talk about. And I was sitting there mute for, like, probably half an hour or something. And she just sat there with me, and I was like, I literally can't talk. Like, there's nothing coming out of my mouth. And so... As I spent the last few weeks kind of praying and asking the Lord, like, okay, well, that was embarrassing, right? <laughs> I went mute, and I'm trying to talk to a group of people. That's not helpful. And so I, um, I went home, and I've been praying, and the Lord has been showing to me just <clears throat> how this wound of rejection has played on throughout my life. Um, and about eight years ago in specific, um, I had an experience at the high school that I taught at. So I taught 12th grade English um, for quite a while. And um, the Lord brought me back to this moment where I think some of this, something just kind of snapped in me. Um, I had been helping a student um, in this intervention writing class. And, um, excuse me, she... Um, was really had a rough family life. And no one in this class wanted to be at school. And so it was a hard place to be. And so um, has anyone heard of the Glass Castle? Yeah. So um, the school that I worked at had tickets to go see the author of the Glass Castle, and I could get tickets for my students. And so I got tickets. I bought this student the book. She had a terrible family life, terrible home life, and basically, she started reading this book. And she went, we, we went to the event and saw the author, Jeanette Walls. And she was really starting to come out of her shell, really starting to write. I was feeling like, yes, I followed the Lord and did what I was supposed to do. Like, this is going really well. And it was a few weeks before graduation. And I get a call from the office that said the girl was found drunk in the bathroom. Um, and that's unfortunate, but it really hit me very hard because I felt like I stepped out and did something that I was supposed to do, and, and then I just lost this person, right? And so I went, and um, the administration said, okay, you can help her graduate. How are you going to do this? Um, and so I made a plan, and I was like, okay, yes, I can still like model God's love or whatever through the situation. So I get to the assistant deans, and I was, like, really passionate about this. And the dean looked at me and said, who do you think you are? You're not a case carrier. You're just a teacher. 
And, you know, I, I just, I know, Sumi's like, oh. <laughs> and, but those words, you guys, this was the situation I went back to. Those words really did something to me that day. And I don't think it's until recently that I realized how powerful those words were. I broke. I snapped. Because that was and is the profession the Lord has called me to very clearly. And that broke me. And after that, um, a few weeks later, the girl graduated. I never saw her again. Um, <clears throat> a few weeks later, I was in my classroom. It was the last day of school. No one was in there. And I had a panic attack. Um, and I was sitting there. I did not know what was happening. I had a panic attack. And I had to call my mom. I was like, uh, I don't know what to do. Um, and so basically, that was the start eight years ago of I entered this season of depression and anxiety and really walked through this dark, dark place. Um, and the Lord has done an amazing journey in my heart and life, but it's only now I think that I'm able to look back and see what was this really about? And I think it's really about I thought I did something. I thought I obeyed. I thought I was doing something the Lord called me to do, and I got slapped down and I expected that everything would go well, and it didn't. Um, and I think it hits back to that fear of rejection, right? Well, this person's words rejected me. Okay, now I'm in the pit, right? And it's been years and years, and he's brought me out of the pit. And in this season, I think he's saying, okay, Christy, I'm going to make a way for you. Okay, and he has made a way for me. But that way did not look like how I wanted it to, right? I wanted to be that bright, shiny, happy, joyful person all the time. Um, and I think I had some resentment, like, why am I still dealing with this? Why do I have to struggle with anxiety and depression? Why, you know, is it so hard for me when I hear people's words um, to, to just operate um, in a way and be confident? And so... It, it makes me think about woundedness and what it can do to us. Woundedness can keep us in the pit if we choose to let it, if we choose to live in our woundedness, okay, and operate out of woundedness, then we're likely not operating out of the body of Christ or in the kingdom of God as he intended. And so as I've been kind of reading and reflecting, there's this story that I found um, has anyone heard of Abba's Child by Brennan Manning? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good book. And I want to read something out of this to you um, because it captures this archetype or this characterization of um, someone that I would call a wounded healer. Okay, and so I'm going to read this to you. And it's given me fresh eyes for what it can mean to be wounded um, and how God can use our woundedness. <clears throat> so sit back and listen. Thornton Wilder's one-act play, The Angel That Troubled the Waters, based on John 5, 1-4, dramatizes the power of the pool of Bethesda to heal whenever an angel stirred its waters. A physician comes periodically to the pool, hoping to be first in line and longing to be healed of his melancholy. The angel finally appears but blocks the physician just as he's ready to step into the water. The angel tells the physician to draw back, for this moment is not for him. The physician pleads for help in a broken voice, 
but the angel insists that healing is not intended for him. The dialogue continues, and then comes the prophetic word from the angel, without your wounds, where would your power be? It is your melancholy that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men and women. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children on earth, as can one human being broken on the wheels of living. In love's service, only wounded soldiers can serve. Physician, draw back. Later, the man who enters the pool first and is healed rejoices in his good fortune and turning to the physician says, please come with me. It's only an hour to my home. My son is lost in dark thoughts. I do not understand him and only you have ever lifted his mood. Only an hour. There's also my daughter. Since her child died, she sits in the shadow. She will not listen to us, but she will listen to you. Christians who remain in hiding continue to live the lie. We deny the reality of our sin. In a futile attempt to erase our past, we deprive the community of our healing gift. If we conceal our wounds out of fear and shame, our inner darkness can neither be illuminated nor become a light for others. We cling to our bad feelings and beat ourselves with the past when what we should do is let go. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, guilt is an idol, but when we dare to live as forgiven men and women, we join the wounded healers and draw closer to Jesus. And I just love this. I mean, it is about the Pool of Bethesda. It's this fictional account, but I think it highlights what it can mean to be wounded and share that woundedness in the body of Christ with a knowledge of what Christ has done on the cross um, and really models how our woundedness, when broken as a body, can be the healing gift for each other, right? We don't always get physical healing. We don't always see the way through as we want, right? We have that tunnel vision, well, if only this would happen, then everything would be well, okay? But Jesus is the way through, right? And I think the way through is often through the body of Christ. And if we're hiding our woundedness and hiding because we feel fearful or rejected or whatnot, then we don't get to get some of the healing that we have available to us. Um, and so with that, okay, I, I put these two quotes up here. Um, when we live in hiding, we live that lie. We don't get the fullness of the kingdom together. And so um, I want us to remember what the exchanges were at the cross so we can remember what it means to give that woundedness to the Lord um, and give it back to him. And so these are some of the exchanges um, that God promises us in the scriptures. So Jesus took our sin and gave us righteousness. Jesus took our curse and gave us blessing. Jesus took our rejection and gave us acceptance. Jesus took our shame and gave us glory. Jesus took our turmoil and gave us peace. Jesus took our despair and gave us hope. Jesus took our bondage and gave us freedom. Jesus took our darkness and gave us light. Jesus took our sickness and gave us health. Jesus took our poverty and gave us abundance. 
Jesus took our death and gave us life. Um, and when I can sit in those exchanges, my woundedness is not something I need to hide in fear, but it's something that I can share in the body of Christ. Um, and in this season, I'll end with this. This is kind of the verse the Lord gave me. Um, it's Hebrews 10, 35 to 39. Do not throw away your confidence for it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. For in just a little while, he was coming will come and not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And so that is kind of, the benediction or claim that I want to leave here is that let's be confident in those exchanges at the cross and what God has done for us. As we're able to share our woundedness with one another, we can walk in confidence in what the Lord has done for us. And that, my friends, is it. I will say a prayer and then we can move on.